Do you love racing? Then you've come to the right place. We discuss current topics in most asphalt series, as well as deep dives into the history of racing, race cars, and the drivers. I'm NASCAR driver Derek Cope. I share some of my personal stories, as well as highlighting those people that shaped my career and others. I'm Alicia Cope, and we also take on controversial and engaging topics on many subjects, including NASCAR, as well as tips and tricks that have worked for us in building teams from scratch, keeping relationships, and finding new roads. Hopefully our experiences will inspire you to reach your own goals. Let's get started. Welcome back to Race Theory. We are in our 45th episode, and we have a guest with us uh, today, and it is a friend of the family and a race car driver that drives for Nitro. And I have, you know, been uh, in racing for a very long time, and a dear friend of mine uh, who has been a, you know, a Cup Series car owner. Uh, in the early days when I was, you know, racing full time, uh, Butch Mock with Ray Mock and his son, Darren Mock is with us. And Darren, thanks for coming on today. Yes, sir. Thank you for having me. Yeah. So we wanted to, you know, touch on, we, we just got done talking about, you know, this past weekend, uh, in our, our racing exploits at mid Ohio. And you talked about the countryside and, you know, um, you know, that type of thing. And we really enjoyed, you know, going to mid Ohio always have, and, you know, just, I wanted to get you on because we've been talking about a lot of different things about, you know, young people in racing, the obstacles they have to go through, you know, women in racing, their obstacles that they have to go through. Uh, so a variety of things touching on a lot of the elements that, you know, I think a lot of our listeners may have interest in understanding about just how difficult of a task it is to, in this day and age, you know, make it to the higher levels of motorsports. And I think we're seeing that, you know, the, the course, the world's changed in the way that the world does business, the way that, uh, you know, marketing and, you know, trying to get uh, social media has taken over a great deal. So there's so many things that I think has changed the course of how we do business and especially in racing, you know, how young people are able to procure sponsorship and find their way to be able to get to do what they ultimately love to do and maybe possibly make a living at it, which I would have to assume that's something that, you know, you have interest in. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, for me, like, I've had to have a little bit of a reality check, right? I mean, I think any every kid growing up that wants to be a race car driver wants to be, you know, in the Cup Series or in, you know, Formula One, if that's what you're into. But, you know, for me, I've always just want to be able to make a living driving race cars because that's what I love to do. So, you know, and there's definitely still avenues out there to do that. Um, I think it's harder than it used to be, but um, I'm still a firm believer. I mean, if you work hard enough and, you know, make the connections with people, it's still possible for sure. I feel the same way. I think that really it comes down to the work you put in and i think that's true of so many things you know in racing as well you know obviously heart and desire do make up for a lot and i think it really comes down to processes i think you have to physically have set out on a path that you really want to you know go down and the type of racing or the type of discipline in racing that you want to you know participate in uh and you know, collectively, if you have 
people around you, a good support group, you know, and obviously with yourself, uh, your mother, Wendy and, and father, Butch, you know, have been in motorsports to a great degree at the highest levels. They understand how difficult it is. They understand how much money it takes and they understand the commitment from everybody that it takes, right? From a daily basis, you know, weekly basis or monthly basis, wherever you're and how much you're racing. But it really is a major commitment on everybody's front to get ready to, uh, to get, get, get racing. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, lucky for me, obviously I had, you know, parents that were involved in it, which can be a good thing and a bad thing because you can't really BS them, right? <laughs> but <laughs> they know what they're talking about. But no, having a the people, you're only as good as the people around you, I, I truly believe. And, and having people that, you know, lift you up on your bad days and, you know, when you're not doing good, tell you that you're not doing good, I think is also really important too. So, you know, I've been very fortunate with my family. They've kind of, you know, been able to like, hey, here's a process and you need to follow the process and this is how you do this and this is how you do that. Just not really babying me through it, but kind of showing me the the steps so that I don't make the same mistakes that they did. Um, so I'm very lucky in that sense. Now, sure. how how old are you right now? Uh, I'm 20. You're 20. Mm-hmm. So when you started racing, you know, and I guess you started with a BMX bikes. Is that correct? So you started mm-hmm. like a very early age, like we were like five years old or so. Yep, five. And so, you know, you started doing that and. You wanted to emulate, you know, the Ricky Carmichael's and the Chad Reeds, and and that was your your deal, right? Mm-hmm. So, what um, what changed from there? I mean, how did you progress, or what choices did you make, and how long did you do that? Yeah, well, well, first off, my dad like strongly advised me not to get into racing. Always steered me away from it because he knew how hard it was, obviously. So, I was like, well, I'm gonna try to find a way to get racing something because I just had the itch. So. Um, a, a really good buddy of mine, there's a place called Hornet's Nest here locally in the Charlotte area. And, uh, it's a BMX park dirt bike track. And I got invited to a birthday party out there or something. And I was like, dad, I was like, we got to get going on this. And he's like, no, no. I was like, it's not a go-kart. It's a BMX bike. Like it's a different type of racing. So he let me do that. And then, you know, that <laughs> that's very dangerous, that sport. So I think, you know, we kind of figured that all out and that kind of fizzled out a little bit. And then I just wore him down get me a go-kart <laughs> get me a go-kart please and this is about the time when gopro motorplex and Mooresville started getting really big i was like get me a go-kart get me a go-kart well he finally caved in um got me a little like four cycle briggs and stratton go-kart to race at gopro and you know it was over after that yeah so you know a go-kart so you were like you know you know in the like 12 years old 10 11 12 years old yeah it right. took all that time to convince is that right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. So, I mean, so you were really, you know, you, you felt compelled that racing was what you really wanted to participate in. So the go the go-kart thing. And I think that's where a lot of kids, you know, are striving to get to this day and age, right? Because I think that, you know, it really is uh, racing at a high level. There's mm-hmm. a lot of that racing going on. And, you know, if you're, you know, if you're on an extreme budget or you're looking to get a place to start and see whether or not you enjoy it, first of all, and if you have the passion for it, uh, that's probably a, a good place. Would that would you say that in your opinion? Yeah, absolutely. And in my opinion, some of the most competitive racing going on out there right now is at a club level at a, you know, car track. And there's a lot of them, you know, all over the country. And it's 
you know, relatively inexpensive to get involved. And, uh, you know, it's something that you can do with limited mechanical knowledge and things like that. And, you know, it's a really good training tool for sure. So I know that, you know, obviously at Nitro, that's been Nick Tucker's. I mean, that was their, their foundation. They, you know, were building carts and doing, you know, that type of tutelage and, and working and coaching with, uh, with kids and, uh, and taking a lot of, you know, carts to the racetrack and managing that. And that's been their platform. And a lot of the young drivers that are successful in what we're racing in the TA2 program, you know, mm-hmm. like Connor and, and Zilich and, and Brent Cruz and, and, you know, Thomas and Seattle, all those guys, they have been through that type of a, of a foundation, right? Just like yourself. And mm-hmm. uh, so I know that a lot of our listeners out there, you know, they've, you know, we've talked about sponsorship. We talked about, you know, the ground, the grassroots and the ground levels that you can start at, you know, and, you know, some can be, you know, in the street stock or something like that. And then there's a go, the go-kart, you know, avenue. So it seems like that, that the way that racing has really kind of patterned itself towards has been in a road racing vein. And I think go-karting is probably a really good cost-effective mechanism that allows you to, you know, race competitive with other people, you know, be and interact with other kids and, you know, be a part of, of something that you have to physically participate on. And, uh, and so, you know, I think that for the people out there that are listening that, you know, looking for, you know, in your opinion, this is a, a young kid that started out begging to get a chance to go race and, you know, he got an opportunity to go down a path and now you've been, you've been able to manage to leverage this as you've gone along and continued your, you know, your passion. And would you, would you say that, I mean, I guess, obviously we're going to talk a more about your levels of proficiency and what you're doing and, you know, some of the things that have gotten you to the point you're at, but I mean, your ultimate goal, did you really honestly think that this is something of magnitude for you that you really want to do, make the make a living doing this? Is this really where your head's at? Oh, a hundred percent. I mean, like there's no other option for me, right? Like, you know, I, I'm not, you know, I wasn't very good in school. I was thinking about going to the racetrack all the time. Like this is all I've ever wanted to do. So, you know, for me, all of my, all of my eggs are in this basket. All my chips are in this basket. I'm all about it. Um, but you know, like I said, you know, and it's, it's kind of interesting the the way my kind of career has kind of unfolded. Cause you know, you would think, you know, my dad owned a NASCAR team. So you think I would be a circle track kid but and you know i love circle track racing and i love watching it but i and and just for that reason i felt like when we really looked at it if you want to you know make a living racing right now um especially in the situation that we were kind of in i felt like honestly that the road racing path was was kind of going to set me up for you know success hopefully so i we felt like that was the best way to go and we you know we've kind of stuck to it and you know i'm really enjoying it yeah i i think that you know, the road racing aspect, if you look at all forms of, of motor racing, so much of it is road racing based. I mean, you look at F1, you look at IMSA, the WeatherTech series, you look at all the uh, ancillary series like Trans Am and GT3 and, you know, GTD Pro and uh, all of those things that are coming up. Plus, you've got NASA and you've got all kinds of SCCA events. And you can run about anything mm-hmm. somewhere, you know, uh, across the United States, you know, um, most every weekend. Absolutely. So the opportunity uh, to showcase your potential and get out there and, and 
interact with people and try to drive the mechanism, you know, is, is in road racing. And so I know that, you know, that's something that you want to do, but you know, right now you do have a job. Is that correct? I do have a job right now. In the right. Meantime. Yeah. And uh, so what is it you do right now? Um, I'm an accounting assistant at uh-huh. Charlotte Gastroenterology. And I gotcha. Yeah. Uh-huh. And then you also, I, you also play the guitar, right? Yeah. And so you're very involved at, um, at your church. Is that correct? Yeah. And absolutely. tell us a little bit about, you know, those, those types of ancillary things that you're doing. Yeah, it's it's definitely nice to have those things in your life. I I've played guitar since I was little. It's something I've always really enjoyed and you know, music has always been really special to me. You know, I'm if you see me at the racetrack, I always got my, you know, AirPods in listening to music before the race and stuff like that to try to get me amped up. But, you know, it's just something I can do, you know, to kind of decompress from racing a little bit and uh, get my mind on something else when I need that for sure. Right. Uh I know you know, you talk about you we're in the go-karts for, you know, about, I don't know, how many years were you really there? Like, not very long. Yeah. Yeah. I would say maybe two or three at yeah. the most. And then the next level or the next avenue that you guys, you know, looked at was what they call the spec iron. Mm-hmm. Right. So that's like a standard, like, uh, homologated type of, um, like a Ford Mustang or something mm-hmm. like that, right? That is basically a car that's been stripped out and they make it into a road racing car, mm-hmm. but they have a series that they're, you know, all spec, right? Mm-hmm. And so tell me a little bit about that series because you ended up winning a championship, uh, did you not? I did, yeah. Uh, we won 10 races in a championship that championship year. Um, those cars are 2005 to 2010 uh, Ford Mustang GTs and they're stock transmission, stock motor, basically stock everything uh, just with a roll cage in it. So it's very similar to like a, uh, you know, if you're familiar with like a spec Miata or spec E30 or something like that, just Mustangs. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's very popular in the Southeast region, you know, where I live in Charlotte. So, you know, you race at tracks like uh, road Atlanta, VIR, um, Sebring, places like that. So, yeah. Um, and actually another fellow TA2 competitor, Kale Phillips, uh, I raced with him a lot there and he's now in TA2. So it's been cool to see that. So, you know, um, and the competition was hard. I mean, it wasn't a cakewalk and a lot of those guys are really good. And I, those cars are very heavy and you got to have a lot of, keep your momentum up only 290 horsepower, I believe. So, uh, I definitely learned a lot in those cars. In those cars as well, a stock transmission. Mm-hmm. So you're having to heel and toe down oh, shift, yeah, right? Yeah. Cause that's when I first started, you know, back in the early days when you had like the four top loaders, you know, you, you know, the sinkles would go bad very easily if you missed a shift. So you had to learn how to, you know, heel and toe downshift where you basically put your toe on the brake and then your heel revs over and matches the RPM uh, in contrast to like, you know, having like an auto blip or a, a transmission that's sequential where you can just bang gears and you don't have to worry about the clutch. So it is really like a, a, you know, a throwback to how the early days of road racing uh was and so it really is and gives you a real perspective of understanding about matching rpms and you know the braking points and and doing those types of things so there's a lot a lot goes into driving those types of cars absolutely yeah and like all the cars are exactly the same so you know if you're nobody's like a lot better than anybody else you really have to work to get by somebody and you know time your shifts right time your passes right you know be good on the brakes so it teaches you a lot for sure so i mean you know like anything you know you really you have to look at all the things that you know 
are ways that you can grow as a race car driver and driving, you know, the lower divisions and driving things that really tax you uh, mentally and physically, you know, learning how to, to understand what a heavy car does, you know, the transitions and braking and, you know, and momentum. So there's so many things like that, that I think these types of divisions, you know, really teach young drivers. And then everybody wants to get to the next levels where the cars are faster and, you know, there's more excitement and there's, you know, more, you know, more opportunities for exposure, right? So that you can try to procure a sponsorship uh, and showcase you as a brand. And that's something that, you know, over the, in the last few years, you've been starting to try to do because the Trans Am TA2 division was where you really had your sight set. Is that correct? Absolutely. Yeah. So, you know, with that series there, they do have some television, mm -hmm. they have live streaming, they have a lot of opportunities and they actually, they draw a, a pretty, pretty nice crowd that, that SBRA vintage and all of that. And then the Trans Am TA, TA2 divisions. Uh, so there is a, a real influx of excitement and uh, and car counts uh, in the TA2 at this point in time. Is mm -hmm. that correct? Yeah. I mean, any given race weekend, you have anywhere from, you know, 35 to 45 cars. And, you know, at some of the combined West Coast and East Coast events, you know, we've had upwards of 50 cars. But, yeah, that, you know, kind of coming out of that spec iron, we, we really kind of debated on what to do, um, you know, if we were going to get into kind of a more GT style thing or, or, you know, maybe go circle track racing or just, but then we found the TA2 thing and my dad was like, man, this is like what I grew up working on. This is a, you know, a late model that goes right and left. He's like, I know this car. So, um, and it's, you know, somewhat cost effective compared to the, you know, unibody cars or GT cars and things like that. So, um, it's been super competitive though. This class is, is really big. You got a lot of really, really good guys. I mean, you probably got, you know, 12 15 cars that are really good you know every week so um it's been tough but you know i've got a i got a good group behind me with with nitro motorsports and really enjoy working with those guys and and uh working with you but uh we're getting there for sure so you started in 2021 with a limited schedule and then you were able to go full-time in in 2022 yes sir so and you've been fortunate enough that You've had some folks come on board uh, and participate, right? So uh, I know that I remember Sonoma, you had hydrogen mm -hmm. on the car, which was, you know, one of your dad's sponsors back in the, you know, the old days, which mm -hmm. was, I mean, Warner Hodgson was a name that is synonymous with the sport. So you had the same look as that car. I remember standing up there, I was spotting, you know, for someone else and saw that car come across there and it brought back a lot of memories for me, you know, mm -hmm. cause that was, you know, what I raced against. Right. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, to, uh, you know, to see your dad and the excitement level that he had with that and carrying that brand across the car. So you've had a lot of opportunities to really showcase some, some brands. And of course, I think one of your major supporters has been the AA, AAN adjusters. Mm -hmm. And, uh, tell me a little bit about, uh, Ken, uh, Ken and Tina. So I met uh, Ken and Tina actually at a NASA event of all things. Um, they had two TA2 cars there that they race a NASA how cars. And we just kind of started, you know, coming up to them. They would park really close to us when we were racing our spec iron car. And they're just the nicest people. And they were sponsoring uh, Tommy Joe Martins in the Xfinity series. 
So my dad kind of jokingly was like, you know, halfway joking, halfway not was like, Hey, you should come, you know, we're thinking about doing a TA2 thing. And, um, they're all about it and they've been with me ever since. And, and they've been very loyal to me. Um, they're based out of Knoxville, Tennessee, um, and just a great family and just really proud to have them on our car for sure. Yeah. It always, you know, it really is about relationships in, in the sport, you know, in the racing, I think in, in business in general, but you know, early in my days, same thing, you know, I've always worked very diligently to try to, you know, give more than I got, right. And to go the extra mile and make sure that, you know, they got a return and that they were, you know, appreciated for what they've mm-hmm. done. And that I see that in you and, and what you do with, uh, with them and your willingness to go do just about anything, uh, to, you know, to keep racing. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I know that, you know, you, you know, in racing, you always, you talk about the, you know, the difficulties and the obstacles about the competitive nature of racing, especially in the TA2 division right now, because I know we were amazed when we first went. I mean, I thought there was, you know, or was paying attention to, you know, the racing with Nick. There was 26 cars or something like that. And then, boom, uh, we, you know, sold the cup thing and we kind of started coming helping out. Next thing I know, there's 46 and then there was 50 some cars at Sebring or almost six. I mean, there's like, <laughs> it was going through like, I was like, wow, this is really, you know, incredible. The amount of, uh, you know, car counts and the people that are looking towards this as a viable way to, to move forward, you know, with their, their, you know, quest to, to be a professional race car driver or just looking to try to, you know, be in, involved in motorsports. So, uh, I know that, you know, you, you know, you work hard at this. I, you know, every, every time we go to the racetrack, I mean, I think the, what I love about the trans MTA two program is that, you know, the analysis, the data that is on the cars, the video they have in the cars, they do a lot of things, right. You know, then in contrast to some other forms of, you know, late model stocks and different things like that, where the driver doesn't have all the tools and things to really try to educate themselves or enhance what they do on a, on a, on a, you know, a practice by practice basis and, or to look at the race and analyze really their productivity or their inefficiencies. And I know that that's something that's very, you know, heavily reply, you know, relied upon at Nitro. And tell me a little bit about in that process and what, what do you do and how do you prepare for a race and how important is that aspect to you? Oh, it's everything. It's huge. I mean, you know, if somebody, and you know, the great thing is I got great teammates in Thomas and Brent. So whoever's a little bit faster, we can pull it up on the data and see exactly where they're faster. How, how many more feet is he breaking later? How, you know, where are you better than him? Where are you rolling more speed? You know, what is he doing here? You know, what is he doing there? You know, before you had all that, you just had to guess. And you can kind of fib about it. You can't lie to the data. You know what I'm saying? So, and it helps, you know, the crew chiefs and, and everybody involved with, you know, making setup changes on the car. And, you know, we got onboard video, you know, we can look at, you know, our hands and our feet, you know, what we're doing there, you know, there's me adjustment made or adjustment to your driving or, or, you know, whatever. So it's huge. And, and, and in preparation, like up to the race weekend, you know, we have access to all that stuff, you know, from even years past. So, you know, I can go and look at, you know, one of my, te- my, when my teammate raced at a certain track last year and, you know, see his comments and look how much brake pressure he was using in this corner versus that corner and things like that. So, um, it's really big and it's very helpful. Um, if you utilize it right. Well, just like when you're in school, right, you have visual aids mm-hmm. and you have ways to, you know, 
you know, have a projector back then and you would, you know, they would show slides or do things and you have ways to look at, you know, how to do things. And in this particular situation, you know, being privy to that myself and, you know, using it as a teaching tool and trying to critique drivers as we go along. Uh, I love this aspect because I've always had to do it myself when I was growing up and starting my career. And, you know, I had mentors and I had people that, you know, would talk to me about driving the race cars and things to physically do that I had to rely on and I had to assess and make choices based on somewhat seeing out of my peripheral vision where my hands are at, you know, knowing what I was doing, the angles of the tack that I was taking. And so you had to break it down, but it was all reliant on you. And, you know, you have to have recall for that. Mm -hmm. So with this dynamic, it allows, you know, you guys to, to go back after a practice session and, you know, evaluate what you did. And even before you come to the racetrack, you know, all these guys now, you're all doing sim work, you're on your simulators and you're getting used to the racetrack and you're trying to, you know, get some conception about visually, you know, the optics of what you'll see when you get there. You know, without having a great sim, you don't have the real aspects of how much grip you have or, you know, the loads in the car and you can sense those things, but the optics are there. So do you work with the sim as well prior to getting ready to the racetrack? So you have a complete process. Uh, so you have to put a lot of work in, you know, the preparation meeting opportunity really does come through in this manner. Yeah, for sure. I mean, and there's no reason not to take advantage of all that stuff, right? It's right at your feet. And, you know, luckily, you know, in this day and time as a race car driver, you have access to all this stuff. So yeah, the Sims huge. I, I think it's, um, it's really good for the optics and the visuals of it. Obviously looking at like brake markers and things like that, you wouldn't look at, but just as far as just getting acclimated to the track, it's, it's really big. So that way, when you show up for your first practice at a place you've never been to before, you know, you don't need GPS out there, you know, where you're going and, and, uh, you can fire off good from there. So, I mean, you, you had a year last year where it was really kind of like your first full season in the sport, correct? Mm -hmm. So, I mean, you were, I mean, stepping up from a spec iron to this TA2 call, what, what was the transition like for you? Was it, was it a big step or? Uh, it was definitely a big step. You know, I had a, I had a lot to learn how to kind of manage a race and, you know, there's, went from a 30 minute race to, you know, an hour and a half or hour and 15 minute race. So that was big. And then, you know, it had always just kind of been me and my dad at the racetrack. So, you know, learning how to work with the crew chief and having a team owner and things like that, you know, was a little bit different, but it was a big jump for sure. Um, and that series isn't easy, but that's why we do it. Right. That's why we picked the A2 and, um, yeah. Well, like you say, there's a lot of great road racers in the TA2 Trans Am deal and, you know, guys that have won championships and have, you know, are older and have done all racing for a very long time mm -hmm. and continue to and, you know, and have thrived in this series as well as even stepped up to, you know, a bigger series. So, mm -hmm. you know, you have um, a lot of major competition uh, that you have to, uh, you know, compete with every week. And I mean, you've made, in my opinion, I, I feel like that from where you were at last year, uh, you've made some great strides. I think, you know, you have learned more about, you know, manipulating a race car, understanding more about what is, you know, what is needed from you and, you know, the mental, I think the mental aspects, right? So, I mean, tell me a little bit about some of the things that, 
you know, in contrast from last year, the progression of what Nitro has done. And obviously, you know, you are now sitting here at this current point in time. I think, are you sixth in points? Sixth, yes. And so you're sixth in points uh, and you haven't won a race yet, but you've been solidly in the top 10 pretty much every week, uh, except for a few, um, you know, you know, obviously some ends uh, poorly in a couple of races or something. But for the most part, tell me a little bit about your progression from last year to this year and where you feel like as a race car driver, you know, you're at. Yeah, for sure. I feel like, you know, I, I've made a lot of strides as a driver as well. You know, over the off season, I, I really kind of had to reevaluate myself and kind of, you know, put myself out on the rug a little bit. Um, and yeah, you know, Nick and, and Ron and, and yourself have, have, you know, really, you know, helped me work hard and, and, and really guided me in a good direction on the things I need to be doing and what I need to be looking at. And, and honestly, having the data, you know, from my other crew, my other teammates has, has made me better too. Um, because, you know, they're all good. And so you have to step your game up, you know, because we're all in the same stuff. So, you know, you got to step your game up to be with them and, you know, kind of feeding off of them and, and feeding off of you guys has been big for me. Um, I still got a lot of work to do for sure. I mean, you know, there's always something to be learned and, you know, every week is a new challenge, but um, it's been really good. You know, I've really enjoyed being over at Nitro and um, yeah. Yeah. Well, I think the one thing that I think that, you know, I've seen from you is, you know, just uh, your, you know, your intensity uh, is, is really up there. I mean, as you alluded to a minute ago, I think that, you know, when we first were looking about you, you know, coming to Nitro and talking about, you know, the, the following year, we had, you know, listened to, you know, some of the things that had happened with your racing before and looked at some of your video. We could see things that, you know, we felt like were, you know, some areas that, you know, you could work on and that could get better. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it was, I was excited about the, I guess, how receptive you were to understanding that, like you said, you know, putting your, calling yourself out, you know, uh, about it, right. And saying, you know, that you were, you know, took yourself to the whipping post a little bit. You know, I think you said, you know, I, I can see now that you've pointed these things out that I, I need to understand and learn, you know, more about what is needed of me. And you've been able to make that transition. And you've been able to parlay that into a very productive year. And I know you have to be pretty pleased about that uh, because this is an extremely competitive series. And I mean, everybody has elevated their game. Every team, I think, has really took strides to getting better, updating their equipment, pushing on all the, you know, pushing the envelope in every regard. So it's not like that you know, uh, it's has come easy for anybody because the competition level has escalated even in just the matter of this one year now mm -hmm. to the point where, you know, being sixth in points and running the top 10 each week is quite a feat. Mm -hmm. I mean, so I, I think you have to be really pleased with, you know, your progression and, and where you're going. Um, you know, in the sport, every everybody has obstacles, right? And I think the things we've always talked about here at Race Theory is, you know, the you know, the things that, that people have to go through, whether it's, you know, um, a female race car driver, you know, obstacles of, you know, um, you know, the word and the thoughts of what you know, women can do in racing, not getting the opportunities, you know, finding funding and, you know, and then the social media aspects that are very difficult to deal with. And if you, you know, are, which most of you younger people are, you know, you're, you're very heavily involved and engulfed in the social media aspects because 
that is the way the world is working and you have to work all those mediums now, right? To mm -hmm. maximize the benefits of the sport and to give value and return on the investments that these people do. But it also gives you a platform uh, to speak out or to, you know, raise a level of exposure or awareness about things and something that, you know, you, you know, we didn't know about this at all until we started working with you, but you um, actually have an obstacle yourself. And that is that you have a genetic disorder within mm -hmm. your family, right? Mm -hmm. That is called, um, it's EB. Mm -hmm. Can you elaborate a little bit about some of our listeners about what EB is mm -hmm. and then, you know, let enlighten everybody? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, you know, when I was really little, I got diagnosed with EB simplex, which is um, the simplest form of EB, which is epidermal lysis bullosa. So basically, you're you're missing kind of a, a protein in your skin that prevents you from getting blisters. So obviously, in a race car, you know, it's really hot in there and there's a lot of friction going on with shifting and holding the steering wheel and things like that. So it's it's been it's been tough, but I have the simplex, so which is the simplest form of it. So I just get it on my hands and my feet. Um, but there's people out there that have the full disorder, full EB disorder, and that is fatal and can be fatal. Um, they get it all over their body. It can get in their lungs and their kidneys, and, and it's really, really sad. So, um, you know, this year um, we had some open space on the car, and this is something I wanted to do for a while was get involved with the EB Research Partnership. And um, um the opportunity came up to maybe do something. And I said, you know what, like, let's put them on the car. I want them to be on the car. I want to get involved with them and, and try to give back to them. Um, because, you know, I understand where they're coming from because I have the, I have the disorder. So I, it's been really, really fun. We've been able to have a lot of kids with EB out at the racetrack and, you know, get them, show them around, you know, the hauler and see the cars. And I, I think it's cool for them to have the, the butterfly logo, which is the EB logo. Um, on the car so it's been really really fun but i am uh i am very fortunate you know i get to drive race cars you know and uh i have the simplex but there's you know kids out there that's got a lot worse than me for sure yeah i mean i have certainly have seen you know some of the aftermath of, of some of the races right and uh the precautions and the things you have to do to you know try to you know extend the amount of of time in the race car without having, you know, any compromises, you know, with blisters on your hands mm -hmm. for shifting. And, and, you know, obviously I've been in a professional race car driver for a, you know, major portion of my life. And, you know, I had really soft hands and soft feet. And so, you know, I mean, my hands, I would get blisters, you know, and I would, you know, tape up like a fighter. Right. And so you, you do whatever you have to do to, you know, get through the races. Right. And, but I, I did, I have noticed, you know, that what you've gone through, but as you alluded to, I also have seen and witnessed uh, some of these kids and their parents come to some of these events that you so graciously, you and your, your mother and father have uh, taken it upon yourselves to, you know, get some of these people to the races, you know, give back and, and have them come and enjoy the sport and see it up, up close and personal. But to see the magnitude of what, you know, some of these children have with it. Uh, it's astonishing uh, what they go through, um, how much pain they're in, and, you know, the obstacles that they have on a daily basis is really, truly, um, you know, 
really difficult to look at sometimes because of, of the degrees of severities that they have it. Uh, so I know that, you know, obviously you're, you're, you're in a better position than, than others, right? But you guys put on a really uh, a fundraiser here in Mooresville not long ago. And I know that, you know, you love music as well. But this event, um, what, did your mother and your father, uh, like, you know, really and yourself all collectively work together to put this event on? Because this was really in a, a, in of magnitude. I mean, it came off exceptionally well. It was well attended, great music, but and the opportunity is really to have uh, a number of those individuals that came far and wide to this event and to shed light and, you know, um, and exposure and, you know, elevate the, the awareness of what this is and the opportunities for donations and, and working on this charity. Could you give us a little bit more input about what you guys did there? Yeah. So, uh, you know, we, I knew I wanted to do something here locally and in, in our area. So, um, luckily we have, we have really good friends and Greg and Katie Law who own Sweet Dreams Mattress and Furniture and, and they were nice enough to let us, you know, tag along on their event and, and, you know, have it at the concert for the cure, um, with the EB research partnership, but yeah, it was really good. I I think we raised $13,000 that day, um, for the EB research partnership. Um, and you know, great music, great band it was a great event. It was, uh, it was definitely nerve wracking for me because I've never done anything like that before, you know, putting on an event like that, but you know, it went really well. And I, hopefully that's something that we can continue to do every year and, and, and move it to different markets, um, at all the different racetracks we go to. Yeah. For sure. I, and if for those, let's go ahead and, and tell a bit about where they can actually, uh, view this and can possibly donate. Mm -hmm. So they can, they can go to EB researchpartnership.org slash donate. Yes. Is that correct? Correct. Yes. Okay. So that is where you can go and you can donate. And, and if you want to learn more about this, or if you know some folks that are doing this, then you can know that, uh, you know, Darren Mock and uh, their racing program are doing um, a lot of things to aid in this, uh, you know, elevation of notoriety about the sport, uh, as well as, you know, the problems with this disorder and uh, try to find more opportunities for funding for research. So I know that this is something that's very dear and special to you and your family. And I just wanted to be able to shed some light on that as well. So, you know, if you're listening out there, please go to that. Again, it's ebresearchpartnership.org slash donate and donate to this uh, wonderful charity. So, um, so I guess with that, you know, we are now in the process of getting towards the summertime of racing. And, you know, you got a lot of, you had a bit of a lull there, right? Because you kind of, you start off with a couple of races, right? Then you go into a lull for, I mean, almost two months, right? Where you don't get to race. Too long. Yeah. yeah. And so, but, you know, you, you don't get the opportunity to go out and drive other things very much. So you really have the opportunity to go out and do some testing, which has been helpful. Mm -hmm. So what do you look for now? Because you have some serious races coming up here now. You got Road America, which is a place that you I, I enjoy. Is that correct? Mm -hmm. I love Road America. It's right. awesome. And this place is a huge racetrack, mm -hmm. you know, up in Wisconsin. And it's one of those races that, you know, Nitro's had some success at. So obviously we've got some things that we can draw from to know about setups and uh, that. But tell me about your approach for, for Road America. What do you do to get ready for a place like this? Yeah. So, you know, what I would do is, you know, I look, you know, fortunately Brent Cruz, my teammate, one that sat on the pole and won that race last year. So, you know, I'm going to kind of lean on him a little bit and then, you know, look at some video stuff, maybe some of his videos, some of my video from last year, some data, 
and go over it with you and 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 you know maybe will rogers my driver coach and my crew chief and um we'll just look at different stuff and then you know it's going to be hot there because it's you know in july so try to eat right and make sure you're hydrated um another factor we got going into there this weekend is uh there's a new track surface so it was really important for me at least to watch you know the indy car race there some other series that are running there listening to their comments about the racetrack how slick it was offline you know what it does in the rain with the new surface how much grip they felt like they had so kind of look at things like that and you know obviously get on i racing um and run a lot of laps there and a, a lot of different cars on on the sim so um just try to be as prepared as you can Right. So how many times have you been to Road America? Uh, just the one time last year. Right. So so you're going back for a sec- second time, mm-hmm. but obviously with a new repave, complete mm-hmm. repave. So the, the dynamic is still the same race course optically, but the grip level has changed a, a, a lot. So, you know, you'll be going there, for hopefully, and probably more than likely the speeds will be um, elevated extensively because of that right and then that changes the braking zones and really you know the speeds entering the braking zones so the racetrack will be different you know in a lot of in a lot of ways but uh beyond that you're looking a little bit past that as far as what you have coming up you have nashville coming up which is a street course Mm -hmm. and of course this weekend is the inaugural race in the streets of chicago for Mm -hmm. nascar right so in staying in that vein Right, you know, street course racing. You had the opportunity to run the streets of Nashville last year. Mm-hmm. Tell me, tell me a little bit about that because street course racing. There's a lot of disparity in how people feel about it. Um, tell me a little bit about how you view the street course races, and you know whether you you know you like them or, or not. Uh, I like them. I they're always really really awesome events too, which makes it more fun and they're in cool cities. But there's definitely an art to street racing. It's very um, it can be very visually misleading. Um, a lot of blind corners, a lot of, a lot of bumps, potholes, off camber, crazy stuff going on, people everywhere. But, um, I've, I think, um, they were intimidating to me at first. Cause you know, you think, oh, this is just breakfast. Sometimes they are for sure. Um, but, um, I've really grown to like them. Um, I've, I've grown to enjoy the event side of it too, and enjoy the people there. And I appreciate the, uh, the new eyes it puts on the sport as well. When you go on some of those major downtown markets, but, uh, like Detroit, for example, the last one we ran, I thought was an awesome event. I thought the racetrack was awesome. I, I thought it was actually, you know, you could pass there. It was fun. Nashville's a little bit tighter. Um, but you know, you just got to be up on the wheel at those places and be up on the gas and and ready to go. So that's what I like about those places for sure. Yeah, you know, Detroit really was. I mean, pretty special place. You know, you look at it. I mean, you are dead in the downtown. Uh, you know, of Detroit, you have the GM headquarters overlooking. Mm-hmm. You know, the actual racetrack itself, and like you said, it had a long uh, back straightaway. Mm-hmm. That thing, I don't think I've seen a long straightaway that long. <laughs> no. I mean, it was, and it had all those. You know the the manhole covers they'd been welded shut, you know, but they still had a lot of major undulations in the back. So the race cars, you had a lot of speed, but you had a lot of bumps, right? And at times you would, the rev limit would go off simply because, you know, the car got airborne, the tires were off the ground and it hits the rev limiter, but then you had to like get out of the rev limiter, let the car settle, go back to gas. So a lot of different dynamics really played into that car, but you did a really nice job there. I know you had a great race, you know, you know, it ran a really good race there and you could see that you were able to get through a lot of the rhythm sections exceptionally well. We're kind of like better than those sections than a lot of guys, right? Mm-hmm. And so uh, I know that 
And I've run a several, you know, street courses myself on the West Coast, right? So in venues in downtown Tacoma and Spokane, Washington. So I know what they're about. And I, I really like them too, just because of the optics, because you really do see the confines and the restrictions. You have all those barriers, right? So it's for me, I felt like that you know where the edge is at and there is no margin for error. And I liked that precision that was, you know, demanded of you. Whereas some of the road courses, they're so wide open, you can get off, you got grass, you don't have the visuals that really maybe you maybe you stay. So you really got to really move your eyes a lot, really look forward because it's it's difficult when you don't have references, right? So that's what I love about the fact of a street course race and I love watching it. And so is it, it's got to be pretty exciting to go there because you've gone with IndyCar, mm-hmm. you know, both times, you know, so, you know, to go out and just be with, you know, on a major stage, you know, with IndyCar. And then this year, the spec series with uh, the Toyota GR86 cups will be there as well, right? So you've got a pretty dynamic, you know, group of cars and eyes fixed on you and the sport and your sponsors. So you got to believe that this is something, uh, you know, that's going to probably maybe start to come even more so as we go along. But you have to be pretty excited about where Trans Am's at and where your career is at at this point in time. Oh, 100%. I mean, as a young driver, what more could you ask for, you know, be on the biggest stage with IndyCar and have, you know, be in front of the Chevy building and have all these people watching. But yeah, there's a lot of very exciting things going on in Trans Am and the way that the direction it's heading in, it's only going to get bigger. For sure. Right. Well, I just want you to know, you know, that we really, you know, relish opportunity. You know, I obviously I lived on the lake just down the, you know, in the same cul-de-sac as, as you know, you guys, uh, you know, uh, when I was racing full-time the Cup Series. So, you know, definitely, you know, know your family well, think a lot of your mom and dad. And, uh, you know, we really, really enjoy going to the races each week, you know, with you guys, you know, on the Trans Am Series. So it's really enjoyable to see you uh, growing up and, you know, being a part of the sport and seeing, uh, you know, how proud, uh, you know, your mom and dad are of you and, uh, you know, and us being able to be a part of that and try to help grow you as a race car driver. And, you know, we're, we're very committed and hopeful, uh, you know, that we can, you know, we can help in some way, shape or form, get you to where you want to be. So, uh, you got a week off this week and then it's on to road America, but I really wanted to thank you for coming in today and, uh, being on the podcast with us and showcasing, uh, you know, some of your sponsors as well as, you know, the, uh, uh, the EB research uh, uh, platform. So thanks so much for spending the time with me and uh, you know, we'll see you at the racetrack. Yeah, thank you for having me. Yep. Thanks. So just so you know, uh, this is race theory and just want you to uh, take a look at, you know, DerekCope.club or race club, And on our website, you know, you can look at what's going on there. We have a lot of things that are available to you. We got speaking engagements. We got a new hot laps row. Now, basically a ride-along program that'll be coming up with the new Radical that we're preparing. So a lot of exciting things that'll be coming your way later in the summer. So keep an eye on us. Uh, take a look at the, you know, the every Thursday night after the Trans Am races, uh, you can watch them um, on uh, television on MAV TV. So great opportunity to, to kind of catch up with what Darren Mock did at Road America here in, in a few weeks. So we appreciate you listening and we'll see you next time on Race Theory. Thank you so much for listening. Did this episode give you some value? If so, please follow us on Facebook at Derek Cope and Instagram at Derek Cope 00 and leave a comment or question and use hashtag race theory. We can't wait to hear from you. See you on the next episode.